You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, Anthony, I have to just understand the complete situation because this book blew my mind and had me thinking, oh, God, this is really freaking cool. I have wanted to move or at least own a tiny house for at least three years ever since I saw one. But you don't not only own a tiny house but you have created a mobile tiny house and you are traveling across the country in your mobile tiny house talking to liberty activists state to state yeah that's, man, that's freaking awesome <laughs> we're, we're having a blast with it and uh, uh you know it, it helps me uh, accomplish a lot uh, as far as you know what our focus is which is liberty um so it's really kind of a, a means to an ends but uh you know it's it's a lifestyle as well um, you know it's it's about financial freedom um it's about encouraging people to think outside the box not that everybody needs to live in a tiny house but to you know start considering um you know how you know what the what the next generation can look like when it comes to housing and and uh, you know dealing with the economics you know situations that we're that we're facing here where our dollar goes uh, a lot less <laughs> you know for a lot it doesn't go as far as it used to and um, you know for us you know for our family living in this tiny house which is uh, you know essentially a, a remodeled travel trailer uh, looks like a travel trailer on the outside but it's absolutely a, a home on the inside uh, my wife's actually in the kitchen right now cooking breakfast for us um, <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's really fun it's a project that we put a lot of love and, and care into we had a lot of people uh, help us um, you know kind of remodel the thing um, and you know we meet so many people on the road as we travel and you know right now we're heading all the way from Washington State all the way to Florida um, kind of embarked on a on a freedom tour so to speak and uh, it's been it's been really fun for us that, that's outstanding right right like I think in the middle of the pandemic I was I was one of those people I was locked in my house I had not left my own town in probably like six months at that point and this is when I really started looking at the idea of, okay, like, what do I want to do when I travel? What, what do I want to do uh, with my life? Because I never want to be in a situation where I'm just completely stuck in one place. And that's how I started learning about like RV living and, you know, the whole tiny house movement. But I think the big thing right now is it wasn't just about escaping. It's about trying to find a lifestyle where you don't have to worry about where you're at right now. You can be nomadic. 
And I think there are pros to that. And I think there are cons to that. But if the past year and a half has taught us anything, it's that we really, really underappreciated our freedom of movement, even within the United States. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're watching, you know, it potentially get locked down, you know, even further as far as, you know, domestic travel is concerned, you know, or, or even international travel. So, um, yeah, I mean, freedom of movement's, you know, paramount to, to using our free will and, and to having it and, um, and having the liberty to go where we want, you know, as long as we're not looking to harm anybody. Right. And um, so, yeah, this has really opened, you know, opened my eyes to um a reality that many people are already actually doing this. That that was what was strange for me. You know, we, we did, we started doing the tiny house thing, you know, for a variety of reasons, one of which was, you know, running a campaign and, and whatnot back in 2020. Um, but when I first started thinking about doing it, it was like, ah, I'm going to, you know, that's weird, you know, to, you know, to, to live in a trailer or whatever. It's like, that's weird. That's not normal. Um, you know, and it's certainly not common per se by today's standards, but as I've been doing it, you know, I've come come across, you know, dozens of people that, that you know, I have great long conversations with that have been doing this for years and years and years. Um, some people do it in retirement. Some people do it out of necessity because they have no other option. But there's this huge um, subset of people in the middle that are doing it because they, they, they want to and because it's freed them to, to live a a life that brings them joy when previously they'd felt stuck and unhappy, you know, maybe working the same job, living in the same area, maybe not, you know, struggling to, you know, maybe meet ends, make, you know, make ends meet while also getting to do the fun family stuff that you want to do. You know, the, the middle-class life, um, it isn't necessarily all roses, right? There's a lot of stress, mortgages, you know, bills, jobs, careers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I meet so many insightful people that have done the tiny house thing for, you know, a few years or, or decades even. Um, and it just brings such a joy to their life. It's brought us uh, a huge amount of joy to my life. That's for sure. When you had this idea and realized this is something that you were serious about, what, what was it like having that conversation with your family? Well, my wife is the one that kind of turned me on to all this. Um, her mom and dad are less crazy about it, um, as you can imagine, right? Um, they they want you know grandkids to stay close and you know to be able to drive over and see us on a moment's notice. Um, but my wife was really into kind of alternative housing and alternative building, you know, very early in our marriage, and it was at a time when. I was still, you know, in a career path that I was kind of, you know, maybe not happy with, but I was comfortable with. And I wanted the, you know, the two-story house and white picket fence and, you know, dog and two and a half kids or whatever. Right. And what we started finding was, you know, even the two of us having good jobs, not, we, we weren't, you know, well off per se, um, but we had what we needed. Right. And as we got married and we started shopping around for housing, um, we realized how expensive it was right out in Washington state where I'm from, you know, housing's Ooh. three, three, four, five hundred, six hundred thousand. 600,000, you know, like minimum. Right. I mean, you can't hardly get a house for 300 out in Washington. Um, but she'd been, you know, watching, uh, videos on container ship housing, right. Uh, uh, 
uh, Adobe style housing, uh, earth bags and, and tiny houses and, and even yurts and stuff, you know, just kind of fun stuff that you see on YouTube or on Facebook or whatnot. Um, but she got really into it and was, it's just, you know, like anybody watching and learning and, um, getting in, getting interested in it. And then at one point she actually went and did a, like a little, uh, a build on somebody's property where they're just making like a small shed out of, um, earth bags, um, you know, and so one thing led to the next and we have some grand visions on what we actually want to do when we stop this nomadic life. Um, but in the meantime, you know, building small, living on less, um, you know, having just just what we need to survive um, from a you know structure to keep, you know, heat and, and, you know, like I said, a kitchen. Right. So we can cook and showers. I, you know, I have my son with me here. Um, you know, the tiny house provides everything that we need. And, you know, I'm so grateful that she um, has been so passionate about this because as somebody like myself that didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily as interested in it, um, I'm grateful that she was so passionate because it, it her passion led me to trust the idea. And, and now that we're doing it, um, I, I, we feel so empowered right? To live our life as we see fit. And it's really great. So was the campaign opportunity, one of those moments where it's like, well, you know, we can definitely go and travel or we could travel with a tiny house or was the plan to have a mobile tiny home already something. And then campaigning was just, you know, a reason to really go forward with it. What came first? Well, it was actually, so our long-term plan is to, to build a homestead. And instead of doing, you know, instead of building a tiny house on it, what we actually want to do is build uh, earth bag adobe housing, which has got a lot of thermal mass. Um, it's economically uh, viable in the sense that it's a lot more affordable. And it's um, in, environmentally. We've got those all throughout Arizona. I grew up in a small town near the U.S.-Mexican border called Sierra Vista. And the people yeah. that built those sustainable homes I mean, I, I'm not I'm not super big on solar power, but like solar power was what powered the town. And when you look at how people were able to basically not completely get off the grid, but create these homes that are not only good for their environment, but also good for the good for their bills. I mean, they, those are some amazing houses. Yeah, and, and you know we're super excited about that. But that that's what the the long term plan was. But in, in the meantime, my family's not quite ready for that step yet, right? We we want to be financially free before we start investing in you know properties and things of that nature. Um, just for for us, right? This is the process we've taken. And uh, in the meantime, I you know I I wanted to run for office. There are some issues I was really passionate about. Um, and this trailer idea, the tiny house idea kind of stemmed from just conversations my wife and I would be be having as we go camping for the weekend. Um, and anybody that's run for office or, or even follows politics knows that running for office is expensive. There's way too much money involved in politics. Um, and the race I wanted to run was a statewide race. And I knew that, you know, as a third party candidate, as a libertarian, that I even if I could raise a ton of money, which we did really well there, um, I would need to be spending as much of it as I could on, you know, marketing, right? Oh, that's a, that's a six spending... figure. I mean, that's a six figure <laughs> campaign right there. 
Yeah. And, and, and if you're spending money on hotels, right, which the, the, you know, the fancy Republican and Democrat politicians do, you know, they stay in hotels weekend after weekend as their campaign, that just adds up. So the tiny house was kind of a means to the ends for the campaign was it, it allowed me to cut my cost from, you know, what could have easily been a couple hundred dollars a day, um, down to right about 55, 60 bucks a day, including, you know, even, you know, food and such. Um, so it allowed me to do a lot more on a lot less and to take that money I had um, and invested in advertising and staff and things of that nature. Um, and really what it let me do was it let me travel to meet people where they're at um, full time instead of being a weekend warrior candidate. Um, or having to be rich, right? Um, I wanted to find a way to do a true grassroots campaign and being active in the community and literally going to each county for a couple of weeks at a time um, allowed me to do multiple events, to, to do more than just the standard meet and greet, um, and to actually, you know, immerse myself in a community for a few weeks, right? And and just, you know, meet people along the way. So, um the, the the tiny house was really a means to the end for the campaign. And then since then, um, now that I know like we're getting closer to buying land, we're we're not staying in Washington. Um, so we decided to um, continue traveling instead of just traveling in Washington State for my campaign to, to travel around the country to, you know, share some of the resources I've created and the knowledge that I've obtained from running for office and to, to show up to help other liberty causes, right? The people that have helped me, I wanted to give back and to help them um, and, and inspire those that maybe are feeling apathetic. Um, so the, the, the tiny house is continuing to really help fuel my effort for liberty. Um, one kind of feeds the other a little bit. Um, but it ultimately helps me spend a hundred percent of my time, um, you know, focused on fighting for freedom for, for myself, for my family, for you and, and for all of our friends and our, our, our families. How's the money situation been? I mean, I have to assume that you've been at least working remotely during this time, or did you have some other streams of income to help supplement that? No, that's a great question. So when I decided to run for office in 2019, I kept my job for the first two years. I was building my campaign and doing outreach. I started really early. But in the final year of my campaign, I actually quit my job. Um, and I walked away from it. I, my wife and I put ourselves in a position where I could do that. Um, money's tight and has been tight for a couple of years. Um, but we have what we need. Um, post campaign, I do a little bit of crowdsourcing. Um, my work is essentially I'm a candidate consultant. I teach candidates to ha- how to run more successful campaigns. I help them get from A to Z. Being a libertarian is great. Knowing how to run a campaign is 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 entirely different than having the right value system. Oh, that's um, an art form right there <laughs> because we'll always we'll, we'll always separate the people who went on to actually run an effective campaign versus the people that had like that fire in their gut, but didn't take the next step is the fact that I, I, you know, libertarians obviously don't want to, you know, show approval for a broken system. But at the same time, it's like, there are things you have to do to get on the ballot. There are things you have to do to make sure that people actually know who you are and that you're running in a way where you're meeting your target audience where they are. And that, that takes time. And that's not the sexy part that a lot of people think about when they think of campaigning, they think of rallies and TV interviews, but it's the other 99% that keeps the lights on. 
Yeah. And, it, and it's important. And I don't, I'm a firm believer that there's not one right way to do this Liberty thing. That's why the project that I'm ultimately on right now and launched back in July is it's called be free, the road to Liberty. Our website's the road to And what I do is I volunteer for free for candidates and the cause, right? If there's a County chapter or a candidate or, or somebody that needs help, right? For example, I'm out in, um, I was out in Minneapolis a few weeks back and I was helping a candidate who's running, uh, Nate Atkins, who's running for mayor in Minneapolis. He's incredible. He's great. He's out there working hard. Um, Spike Cohen and I showed up and helped him for a couple of days. Right. Um, after that, I went to Illinois and attended their state convention. Now I'm down in uh, Kentucky. Um, we were over in Ohio and did a screening of the movie The Unseen. This is a, a gentleman that wanted to host a, a movie screening, but he hadn't ever hosted an event before. So I said, yeah, I'll come out. I'll be a, a, you know, a guest speaker at the event. I'll um, drive a conversation about the lockdowns and, and you know, what's causing them and how do we stop it from happening again. Um, and I do this you know, all for free. Um, in, in the voluntary fashion, um, because I want to set a tone for for volunteerism and what that can look like. Um, but I do also crowdsource on the side. Um, we sell swag and T-shirts and stickers and, and stuff with liberty based messaging on it um, to help get the word out right on on these issues and to help put gas in the gas tank. You know, we, like I said earlier, my, you know, my wife and I, we have what we need for the bare bones, um, but crowdsourcing on the side helps me um, earn a little bit of money um, to help me continue to do this. It's far from profitable, <laughs> um, which isn't the goal. The goal is just help spread the Liberty movement. Cause I got a six-year-old um, and this is extremely important to me. I didn't quit my job and run for office and decide to dedicate hundred percent of my time to Liberty, um, to watch us get our asses kicked year in and year out. Why, or to watch us, you know, continue to lose freedoms. So I put all of my energy into this. Um, and I'm trying to do it as frugally, as cheaply as possible, because I know how few resources this movement has. Um, and my goal is to help amplify our efforts, um, so that we have more resources, that we have more skills. Um, and the tiny house is a great resource for that. It really lets me do a lot more on a lot less. And it makes it so I don't have to make, you know, four or five, six grand a month to, you know, pay a mortgage. Um, ideally we make a little bit of money, so I don't have to stress about, you know, something breaking and which credit card I'm having to put a bill on. Um, <laughs> you know, but ultimately it's, you know, ever, even since I was a kid, I've always been um, of the mindset that, you know, the, the money will come, right? What, 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 you're, what you ultimately need will, will eventually be, you know, you'll, you'll earn it. You'll provide for it. If you work hard, you keep your head down, you try to do the right thing. And you know what, through my careers, you know, I've made more money, I've made less money, but I've, you know, managed to always, you know, provide for what I need, take care of my family. And, um, you know, the, the crowdsourcing, the gifts people give us along the way here over the last, you know, couple of years as I've focused all my time and energy on politics has been uh, been a huge blessing. Um, we don't report any of it to taxes. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't have a W-9, right? I'm essentially a, a campaign consultant, but because I do it for free, I don't have to report taxes. And because everything I do is crowdsourcing, it's gifts. And it's, it's, not, it's not that it's tax deductible. It's that because it's a gift it's not tax reportable as long as it's no more than $10,000 legally per person. Um, 
so feel free to donate, you know, $9,999, you know, everybody that's listening. Um, and I won't report an ounce of it to taxes and it'll help me keep teaching candidates how to get, you know, hundreds of thousands of votes, which is what I did out in Washington. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, send me your links. So that way I can go ahead and put them in the show notes. So people can go ahead and jump on there and, you know, contribute to the cause after they're done listening. But you mentioned something that I, I had not thought of prior um, you, you mentioned your son. And the thing that really shocked me over the last year and a half, especially when schools started closing down across the country, were the number of conservatives, were the number of freedom-minded independents, were the number of libertarians who complied with every aspect of the lockdowns and still continue to advocate for that, especially when it comes to their children and their school districts. Um, you know, to say that what we've witnessed in the past year and a half has been child abuse on a massive scale is, is, is an understatement. And as I looked at what parents were doing, and I mean, I don't want to be a backseat quarterback, I don't have children, but this idea of you say one thing when you're watching the news, you, you go and talk one thing when you're talking with your friends, but when it comes to the real situation of this shit is happening the message you're sending your child is comply, comply, comply. And by yeah. what you've done, by incorporating your family into what you're doing in the midst of all of this, that speaks louder than any, any Twitter warrior or any person anywhere else talking about mass resistance. You have actually just said, you know what? This is my family. We're doing our thing and we're going to do it our way. You know, I've, I've, traveled nonstop through this entire lockdown and I've talked to people all over the country. You know, when I was between running my campaign and seeing it in Washington and and going to reopen rallies as a candidate and, and I wouldn't even go and campaign. I literally wouldn't pitch my campaign. I would just go and listen to people. Um, I'd give a speech and tell them, I'm sorry that this was happening to them, right? Because I'm seeing, you know, the massive job loss, the income loss, the retirement that people are losing, the, you know, the the businesses that are being lost, right? I was out in Arizona and, you know, I tell this story because it was so impactful to me. I, I, I met a woman at a gas station and as we're traveling, right, it was on Route 66. I pulled over literally because I just wanted a souvenir. Um, I was actually on my way to, to meet oh, up because with Because why not? Right. Yeah. We, we buy stickers, right? You can only buy so many ashtrays and shot glasses in a tiny house. So uh, we buy stickers, but we're at this gas station and my wife, the, you know, the kind soul that she is, she's just, you know, strikes up a conversation with this woman. And my wife has this innate ability to where, or not even ability where people just literally like tell their, tell her their whole life stories, right? They can know her for literally 30 seconds. And by the end of the conversation, they have like just told her more than she ever asked for. Right. And as we're at this gas station, this woman is, is telling us how she had owned a restaurant down in Tucson, um, had lost it. They'd only been like a year or so out from retirement. And the plan had been to sell their, their restaurant to fund the rest of their retirement. Um, by the end of it, they had lost their restaurant, lost their house, and had been forced into living in an RV in their mid-60s. They weren't traveling on vacation as a retired couple. She was working at a gas station making gas station um, uh, you know, burritos instead of you know, finishing off her, her twilight years, selling, you know, a high-end steak restaurant from Tucson. And it lost, she lost everything. And 
at that, when you see the pain and suffering in people's eyes and you know that pretty much everything government does, whether it's regarding the lockdowns or any other thing through our life, that it ultimately it's it, almost all of it is hurting somebody. Um, we drew the line in the sand and we said no more. Um, we're not giving into this. We're not complying with any of it. Um, if for no other reason so to encourage other people to do the same thing and to be brave. Um, it, it, it's not about for me being the leader or being the guy that is, you know, willing to dance alone and stand out. Right. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to inspire that second and third person to join me and join us in, in non-consent, right. People that would otherwise be fearful, right. Of, of maybe, you know, dancing by themselves, standing alone, being isolated, you know, against the government and to let them know that, Hey, there are other people out there that will help you if you lose your job because you don't comply, right? We'll help you find a job. We'll send business your direction if you work under the table, right? We will we'll get you connected with resources so, and, and to really just inspire people to be brave in the face of tyranny. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to caution this because you said something that as a parent, um, as somebody that fights for liberty is, is important to me. Um, I, I have opinions on masks. Um, I have opinion on vaccines. Uh, um, I've got opinions on the school system and, and whatnot. What is very important to me as a parent is to not shame other parents for doing the best they can. Um, all of us parents are literally just trying to figure it out. Um, we're doing the absolute best we can. Most parents are great. Most of us are are just trying to make ends meet, doing the best we can with what we know how. And um, I don't want people to feel shamed for complying under duress. What I want you to do is I want you to feel empowered to start thinking outside the box and say, okay, I'm tired of complying. I feel bad that I complied. I feel bad that I put my kid in a public school and that he had to wear the mask for the last year. I knew it was wrong. And I felt like I was forced. I felt like I didn't have a choice because what government's done, it's put its boot on our neck and it's trapped people, especially right now with Biden's mandates where they're going to fire tens of millions of people world, you know, countrywide, maybe more, you know, people feel trapped in the sense that I have a mortgage I don't know what to do, right? I have I have to get this vaccine or I have to send my kid to school. I want you to be encouraged that you don't have to, that you can start looking outside the box, that there are sacrifices that you can make to create liberty in your life in spite of government tyranny. If, if this is something that you've been struggling with, that you, know, you feel bad about you know, whatever ounce of compliance, whether it was a little compliance or full compliance you gave in the last two years, but you feel bad about it and you want to stop complying, please reach out to me, theroadtoliberty.com. I will do everything I can help you to stop the government from putting its boot on your neck and find ways to work outside of the system to create happiness for your family, regardless of what's do what government's doing. You know, I've been thinking how, how I'm going to go ahead and segue into the last half of the show, but I think I found the perfect way. Um, you use the term non-compliance, you know, trying to give yourself more options, trying to say, you know, I saw what this did, I complied, and I feel bad, and I want to do better. One thing that has been a goal for me, especially since I moved here to Wisconsin, and I'm, I'm by myself currently, it's been 
I, I need to find things outside of work because everything I do is related to politics. Everything I do, even for fun, is still related to working to some degree. So I wanted to do something that is just for me, that I don't have to share with anyone else. It's just a me thing. And uh, one of those goals that I've had for many years now was I wanted to start training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm really lucky because throughout Milwaukee, there are a ton of Brazilian jiu-jitsu studios. But one of the things I was looking for when I was looking at schools nearby was this. What did you do during the lockdowns? And if it happens again, what will you do? And some schools that, you know, they went all out there, like I closed for a year. Some were like, well, you know, we did some classes and we scattered them out and we social distance. And then one school was just like, we went entirely online. And, you know, like I, I respect anybody that's willing to make a decision, especially when they know that it's not going to be great for them. But the school that I went to, they were basically like, no, uh, we're, we're, we didn't lock down. And then immediately I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming here. And they're like, listen, man, it's a fact of life. Uh, people need this. People will always need this. And if you're worried about COVID or anything else, jujitsu is probably not for you because you'll get far worse injuries and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I started coming here and it's just been one of those things where it's just been like, you know, embrace the journey, embrace the challenge. So when I found out that you're a jujitsu guy as well, immediately I had to ask as soon as I heard about the whole tiny house thing, Brother, when's the next time you're rolling? <laughs> Jeez, dude, uh, I, I've put on some weight since I've been in this tiny house, but I'm gonna blame I'm gonna blame politics for it. It's not my fault. It's politics. <laughs> um, no, How did you, you first know, get into jujitsu? Um, I went through a bad breakup, and uh, I wanted to change my life and to, to find a hobby. I needed something new to do. I was quitting smoking, and I wanted to find uh, you know a way to be healthy and. Um, I've been watching UFC and MMA and all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember watching the grappling aspect and just seeing the, the, the vast skill difference between somebody that knew how to grapple um, with the rest of their fighting versus somebody that had a fight, but didn't know how to grapple with it. And it, it was just, you know, it was, it was amazing to me. And, and I honestly, I thought it was really beautiful. The, the transitions, the way um, like somebody that was super technical could, could really just own somebody and, and, you know, beat them up, choke them out or whatever. And so I started training and, and now I'm a, a coach at times, uh, before I was on my campaign, I was a coach at a, at a local Academy, a Gracie Academy out in Washington. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of training with, you know, Hoist, uh, Hoist oh, wow. Gracie and, um, um, yeah, Henner Gracie and the Mendez brothers and, you know, all over the years. And, you know, the, the thing that jujitsu has taught me most importantly is, is perseverance. Um, and knowing that even when you lose that you can win, right. I I've lost so many matches, you know, this, you tap out at practice, right. You know, you're going up against somebody bigger and stronger than you, more technical, more skilled, more experienced. Um, and you just, you, you, you get, you get used to losing and being okay with it but coming back and fighting harder, fighting smarter, you know, and that's impacted my life in, in pretty much every, every area of my life, but specifically with, you know, politics and stuff, it's, you know, it's kind of indicative of, you know, what we do, the, the, the Liberty lovers, right. We're the, the small person in the, in the battle with the bully. And, you know, while we might get beat up and we might lose the more skilled we get, the more trained we get, the better, uh, you know, the more experience we have, the, the better we can fight and we can start winning some battles, winning some matches, so to speak. And, 
you know, my passion is jujitsu. What I ultimately want to do is own a jujitsu academy someday. That'd be um, you know, and but you know, the 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 COVID lockdowns, you know, kind of shook me from that respect. I've been working on business plans for a for a school for a few years, knowing that I'm not quite ready yet, but either skill wise or teaching wise or financially, but you know as a libertarian, right, we often talk about zoning laws and business licensing and regulations. And then in 2020 uh, and 2019, we saw that stuff actually, um, you know, come to fruition to where the government used, you know, labor and industries and the Department of Health and business licensing to shut gyms down. And I have so many friends that lost you know, basically, you know, just lost every dime they had, right. And just struggled to stay alive because they couldn't get people to come in. Um, and you know, it scares me as a potential future business owner, right. You know, what if this happens again? Right. And if I'm going to invest time and energy and money in, in starting a school, you know, what, what would I do to protect myself? Right. The, the, the government's showing its cards. We know what they're capable of. Okay. So you complied this time. All right. That's fine. What are we going to do to make sure that we never have to comply again? Right. And that's where I want to help, you know, jujitsu schools realize it's like, Hey, you don't need to get their business license. You don't need their permission to teach, right? You don't need permission to share your knowledge. What's in your mind. You don't need permission to use your body to create an income for yourself and to teach others how to defend themselves. Right. And, and one of the first steps here is I believe we need to start getting small business, especially mom to pop shops to, to one bind together and, 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 and collectively say that, Hey, we're not going to comply because it's a lot harder to pick off, you know, 50 businesses in a community than it is one. Um, but also we need to start removing their levers of power and jujitsu is all about Alavanca. It's all about leverage. Yes. Right. We need to use our jujitsu mindset if we're gym owners, as if we're practitioners, and we need to remove the levers of power over our lives. You know, so for me, jujitsu, tiny house, uh, liberty, teaching, coaching, it's all kind of one big life uh, mentality that I have that, that, that has been cultivated through pain and suffering, <laughs> self -imposed, <laughs> you know, so, so self-imposed at many cases. Um, but the, the true heart behind it is, is just to empower myself, empower my family, create liberty for ourselves, learn and to grow, you know, look internally as often as possible because anybody that's been in jujitsu matches, like, you know, it's when you, when you, when you get choked out, it's not because the other guy did the move perfectly. It's because you fucked up. Yep. Right. Yeah. And you have to be really self-respective and be like, all right, why did I lose? And it takes a lot of self-ownership. Right. And so there, these things are all tied into each other. And I just, you know, I appreciate the chance here to talk to you today because it really, um, I don't get to talk jujitsu a lot and really show why I think jujitsu and Liberty go hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing for me, um, I, I had done martial arts. I did Taekwondo as a kid. I had to start from a white belt twice because I moved so often. I got up to brown belt each time. And then you do some army combatives. I, I did some combatives in the army. But the big thing for me, it was, you know, like uh, other than like the health reasons and everything else, I really wanted to start doing martial arts again during the pandemic because I felt powerless. 
like it was for like many people, it was a very incredibly dark time in my life, especially if a lot of other things that were going on in 2020 through early 2021. And even though I've only been doing jujitsu for a couple months now, I don't even have a stripe on my white belt yet. Uh, you know, I go three, four days a week. I like literally in a couple hours, I have a private lesson with my coach because my, my shrimping is shit and I, I need to stop getting put on my stomach when, when I screw up and pull guard immediately. But like, you know, I, I've won three three matches the entire time, and you know, for every match I win, I get submitted or choked out like a hundred times. But the <laughs> one thing I've loved about this is that one, I, I think jujitsu, unlike other martial art forms, like if there's a superpower on earth, it's this because there have been little scrawny, bony kids who I've rolled against who have been able to take me and larger guys down, and it's incredible to watch. And I've, I, I've actually felt like I have some control for once. I have felt more self-empowered through this. And all my friends look at me with my black eyes and bruises and they think, what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, you don't understand. It's, it's that part of you that you don't get in any other way. There's something about having some dude try and like, you know, simulate murder on you <laughs> during a class <laughs> that really puts a lot of things in perspective. And in just the short time I've been doing it, like going balls to the walls right now, jujitsu is so freaking difficult. It has made other things in my life easier to deal with. Yeah. And I, you know, with I, all I this, it's so... just been amazing. I feel so much healthier mentally when I do jujitsu. I'm more patient. I'm more kind. And, it, and it's because I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, it's just, it, it just brings that out of me. Um, I think jujitsu is absolutely beautiful. I, I love the flow of jujitsu. I love the cooperative partnering um, and, and streaming moves together. But the, I, I, the thing I really love about jujitsu is the empowerment aspect. Um, I think that, women and children should be learning jujitsu. Um, you know, especially women, you know, the, the idea behind jujitsu is that it can take a smaller, um, less physically powerful or athletic person and equalize them or make them able to defeat a larger, stronger opponent. And, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you know, women get assaulted, you know, and, and I'm going to take this, you know, a little serious for a second, you know, there's so much domestic violence in this world, um, you know, and worse and women feel the brunt of it, you know, and, you know, we, we've all watched the me too stuff over the last couple of years. And we watched the, the progressives virtue signal on it and, you know, talk about how it's wrong and stuff. And I agree. Right, that that men need to step up and 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 stop hurting women, and other good men need to stop bad men from doing it, and um, that's why I enjoy teaching women and children jujitsu because it can empower them um, to protect themselves. And you know, I, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I like the firearms, and you know, I think that that's important. But in a lot of cases, somebody that's being abused is being abused by somebody they know. In, in a situation where all of a sudden it becomes unsafe and having a firearm is not always going to be an option. You are always going to have your body with you in a fight. Um, and if, a, you know, if a man tries to attack a woman to sexually assault her or whatnot, um, jujitsu can save a woman's life. Um, before that though, one of the things about jujitsu 
is it, it stops you from becoming a victim, I think. So it's not even that you need to learn the jujitsu um, to defend yourself. It's that through the process of, of learning jujitsu, you learn how to not become a victim. Um, it teaches you how to be more confident, how to be more assertive. And that doesn't mean a bold, assertive woman still can't be assaulted. Don't get me wrong. I don't want this to get taken out of context. There, there's, a it, of can, conflict, uh, there, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of conflict avoidance and conflict resolution in jujitsu, because the one thing that I think a lot of martial arts fail at is reminding people that at the end of the day, this is self-defense. And the best way to protect yourself is to de-escalate the situation before it even has to get violent. Well, and, and, and frankly, even just simple distance management, right? No, no, understanding what, you know, being too close is or being too far away is. And, you know, if some women try to, you know, anyways i don't we don't need to get into a whole technical thing about yeah you know how jujitsu is a, a a great resource there but um for me it, it is it's something that i try to use to teach people how to be empowered how to take control over their lives how to defend themselves against violence um and it's it's been an incredible it's been an incredible thing in my life frankly it's been one of the single best things that happened to me it's definitely you know, definitely top five things, right? My jujitsu, my wife, my son, not, not in that order is my wife is standing next to me here. Um, <laughs> but right. It's, you know, it's, and, and, and learning what Liberty was. I mean, those are some of the, and, and, and finding God, right. Those are my five top things to change my life. And um, I hope to share jujitsu with as many people as possible. I think our law enforcement needs jujitsu, right? When we talk police reform, what's happening right now in states like New York, where they're banning things like chokehold, which we all saw with Eric Garner and, and George Floyd, how, you know, bad cops do bad things and, and they made chokeholds look bad. Um, you know, we as libertarians know it's not the gun that pulls the trigger. It's the bad guy that pulls the trigger and a chokehold, um, and jujitsu and, and and grappling is absolutely a resource that we should be um, teaching women and children. But oh, there, officers- there was there, there was a video I saw on the Gracie Breakdown YouTube channel where uh, Henner Gracie was talking to a student from another Gracie Academy, and this guy, I think he was in North Carolina, he was driving by a cop, and this cop had this dude on his stomach, but the dude was resisting, and the cop was about to lose him. So what the guy did was he ran out. And actually use some of his basic skills to, you know, submit the guy so that way that the cop could go ahead and handcuff him. So the news went ahead and said, look, this guy saves cop from criminal resisting. And Henry Gracie pointed out something incredible in that video. He's like, yeah, I saw you help the cop, but you also helped that person. And here's the reason why I'm saying it, because if that person had been able to get out, it would have escalated into a tasing or worse. It could have escalated into a discharge from his firearm. So without him really realizing it, you may have potentially saved him from incredible grave injury or or death. And I mean, that itself is the, the fact that you didn't just help one person. You helped two people. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, I've trained with police officers and um, they they don't know how to grapple. I mean, you give yourself another two, three months there and you go find a cop that's never trained before, even at two or three months of jujitsu, you're going to beat that cop. So anybody that's got an ounce of athletic ability or any kind of physical training could very easily, you know, 
overpower any average cop. That doesn't mean every cop, right? There are some cops that are more athletic and whatnot, but all that does is it puts the the criminal at risk. It, it puts the, or the potential criminal, right? Cause I believe in, uh, you know, trial, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Before, right? I don't, but, but we, we, we want, we want the good guys and the bad guys to all make it to where they're supposed to be as safely as possible. Right. And we want to be able to give justice a chance. And when people inherently, even a bad guy, you know, does something and, you know, and wants to resist because, because let's be honest, who wants to go to jail, right? We, we want to be able to arrest them as peacefully as possible. And taking away tools like grappling is the last way to keep, you know, people safe in the hands of, of, of the police, right? If, if somebody knows how to properly apply a chokehold, you also know how to when to release it and 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 how to apply the amount of right amount of pressure you know how to uh, you know practice weapon retention so that if they go for your gun they don't actually get it which means you're less likely to to billy club them or to tase them or to shoot them right jujitsu can save cops lives it can save lives of of you know innocent people um and, and it really is something that i hope to share with the you know as many people as possible and you know gracie academy henner gracie does a great job at that well, Anthony, I have had such a blast this morning. We covered so much, but everything goes back to self-empowerment, understanding that road to freedom, whether people are taking it literally like yourself or whether they're beginning to go on that journey of self-exploration. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to go ahead and learn more about what you're doing, get some swag, support everything that you're doing with your family right now, how could they do so? Yeah, the, the roadtoliberty.com has a gift button in a store and stuff, but also on the website, there's uh, forums there. There's forums there to, to talk about working outside the system. Uh, there's forums on there to, to talk about running for office so you can have the resources that you need. You know, the website, the roadtoliberty.com is about helping the greater overall liberty movement. Um, it's not just about helping me and what I'm doing. It's about how I can help you and what you're doing, because I think together we can see not ink incremental change, but we can see exponential gains in liberty. And if we don't draw the line now and work together to do this, we're probably not going to have a peaceful revolution. I pray that that doesn't, you know, that, that we are able to have that peaceful revolution. So visit theroadtoliberty.com, donate, chat with me, uh, you know, join a conversation and let's help each other. Awesome, brother. I appreciate you. All right. Take care, man.